Hello and welcome to Don't Do Things The Way I Do, the podcast about mistakes. This episode's guest is Simon Pitt-Keithley, who I've known for quite some time and who is an advisor to the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, among many other roles he holds. Simon will be talking to us about the difference between David Cameron and Tony Blair's number 10 Downing Street, but also what it's like managing young people. We're also, and be warned, we're also going to be talking about Brexit. So as with all my guests, I'm going to hand over to Simon to introduce himself. Off you go, Simon. Hi, my name's Simon Pitt-Keithley. I do various things. I run business improvement districts in Camden Town. I give workspace away to people who need it in Camden Town. And I'm also the Mayor of London's champion for small business. Hello, Simon. Welcome to the podcast about mistakes. None of which you've ever made, obviously. Never a single one. Go on, then. (laughs) Uh, Well, of course I made loads of mistakes. Um, It's part of the fun, really, isn't it? Uh, And the older we get, the more... I feel you do appreciate uh, the mistakes and prepare to make them, actually. Mm. I think taking risk is a really important part, not just of entrepreneurialism and business, but I think um, the whole piece, you know, of uh, managing oneself in a, in a working environment. You've got to be able to take risk. Yeah, I think this problem, I think that's a very American and maybe even Australian point of view. I think one of the problems we run into over here is the conflation of mistake with error. Yeah. With doing something just wrong. Um, yeah. rather than doing something in a way that maybe, I hate to use the term, but I will, that is disruptive and, and may lead to good ideas. Um, yeah, absolutely right. I mean, I, and I, you know, it's, it's, it's our sort of disease of seeing everything in binary terms rather than more complex. Mm. You know, just because something didn't work out perfectly doesn't mean that there isn't something in there to, to grow and develop on, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Much like this um, in or out of Europe thing. Oh, the B there word. we go. There we go. The B word. Uh, one, one of my uh, one of my entrepreneurial journey stories sort of is relevant to that. In that um, uh, we, we manufacture. I, I made uh, our business started as all kinds of different things. Uh, we we were trying to do downloadable ringtones, selling musical equipment, and we ended up selling manufacturing um, uh, table tennis equipment. <laughs> Which we made in China and then later in Spain and Germany. And the right. difference between the two is, is really interesting. How uh, so? How so? Well, um, we started out manufacturing in China because you do. Mm. Um, you know, that, that's where everyone goes. And it's not an easy process. Uh, and it's, it, it takes a lot of building relationships. And you can get the quality up. But what you really struggle with, I think I hear this in lots of different ways still, I think, although it's a few years ago since I was doing it, but it's consistency. Right. So you get a container of product that first up, it looks great. Then your second container, there's some faults in it. Mm. And of course, that's quite dangerous as a business because you start to rely on the quality you're getting from your supplier. Mm. And then you don't feel you have to sort of check it so much because it was good first time around. Um so that consistency became very, very difficult. Um, and learning to manage our way through that was very interesting. Um, I once did a, a 24-hour trip to China. Fucking hell. Um, which was, you know, actually it wasn't too bad because, of course, there's no, you don't adjust. Um, mm. So I literally turned up for this two-hour meeting uh, and, then, and then came away again. And 
I was meeting the owner of the factory and we couldn't get this consistency thing right. And he sat at the table smoking mm. uh, with, with his body turned half away. Oh. And it was kind of weird. I couldn't work out what was going on. And eventually I just lost my temper and I slammed my fist down on the table and said, you know, for fuck's sake, pay me attention. You know, I know I don't speak your language and all this, but, um, and it completely transformed the relationship from there on in. Oh. And it was as if somehow, and it, you know, I thought I'd made a terrible mistake by losing my temper, mm. but actually it was a sort of demand for respect that we hadn't asked for at that until that point. Oh. And it was quite interesting to sort of, you know, I mean, it, the whole thing literally changed our relationship with them. Mm. We got the consistency levels back up and it, it changed all because of that sort of, you know, exasperated uh, response from me. And the other thing I think that was quite interesting in terms of manufacturing, I don't know whether you want to, I was going to, I was going to talk a little bit about the difference between manufacturing in China and Spain and Germany. Yeah. We'll come on to that. Well, this is you still ping pong tables, is it? This is still ping pong tables. So we right. realized again after a while, partly because of this consistency issue. Yeah. That, that we, if we went to the more traditional, or the factories that have been doing it longer yeah. in Spain and Germany, we could overcome the consistency issue. Right. Because just just before they, we, we keep going on this, yeah. Um, because I mean, we we've spoken about this before recording, obviously. Yeah. Um, who were you making ping pong tables for, Simon? Well, we developed our own range, and then we also bought a brand, right. uh, or leased a brand called Dunlop. The <laughs> owner of which was um, at the time was uh, Sports Direct, Mike Ashley. Right, that's all the Newcastle. Um, exactly. Well, he owns Newcastle. Gone. He yeah. owns, and he's now, of course, got his issue. He got his uh, issues with Debenhams and yeah. House of Fraser. But um, Sports Direct, of course, is his big mm. uh, um, uh, monolith that, that, that where he's made all his money. I didn't know. Um, he, I didn't know he owned Dunlop. Yeah. Well, he doesn't anymore, actually. Okay. He did at the time. Right. Um, uh, which is another whole interesting exercise in brand management. Mm -hmm. But but perhaps for another podcast. Yeah. Um, but. Um, uh, he eventually bought the business office. So he bought it piece at a time, actually, oh. bought 25% and then bought the whole lot. Um, primarily, we realized because we'd learnt to uh, deliver large, product, uh, large products, mm. which required two people to deliver them. Right. In you a mean way physically, that they didn't... physically deliver them? Yeah. And, and what what you realize about big retail is it's a it's a logistics business yes that's the key to it it's about moving stuff around mm -hmm. and we'd learned to do a piece of it well right that's actually what he bought i always like to say i'm one of the few people that's made money out of mike ashley um <laughs> but uh, but that was the bit he was really interested in yeah we made some nice table tennis tables and we'd use the brand he owned at the time to do it right but it was that logistics thing that was that was there. Sorry, we wandered around a bit there. No, we? no, no, no. That's that's what the podcast's for. I'm I'm just <laughs> thinking back to the days when owning a pair of Dunlop Green Flash was. Yes. But anyway, enough of that. Who did you deliver yeah. a ping pong table to, Simon? Um. Well, not that I'm not that I'm guiding this podcast at all in any way. But I see. I see. Well, a along with people, you know, uh, who lived in the Shire counties and things like that, um, we made a specific table for uh, the then Prime Minister David Cameron to <laughs> give as a present to Barack Obama. Right. Um, they'd had a, a game of table tennis when they met a few years ago. And, it was at and a school, Bob, wasn't it? 
Uh, yes, that's right. It, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, when I think Obama came to, to visit the UK, and um, so on his next mission, there's a whole etiquette about around presents that get delivered between leaders, heads of state, and so on. Mm. So he wanted to give this table tennis table. So we had to make up a special one, and it had, you know, to Barack Obama down one side, and from Prime Minister Cameron down the other. <laughs> I, you know, did the selfie of myself with one side rather than the other. You can imagine yeah, which. I can imagine which. Um, but. Uh, so David really Cameron uh, attempts ping-pong diplomacy. Exactly. Models yeah. himself on um, Richard Nixon. There you go. There you go. Um, well, yeah, it was also quite an interesting experience going into number 10 to take it to him so that he could have a look at it before it got shipped off for the trade, uh, as part of the trade mission. Okay, go on. Um, because um, wearing other hats, I've done um, various things in my life, including working for uh, the Labour Party and for one Tony Blair. Oh, sorry, that's you've all just the rest lost... of the listeners gone, yeah. Yeah, you've just lost some listeners for that. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but uh, it means that I've been in and out of number 10 quite a lot uh, in my life. <laughs> and and I went recently as well um, uh, when, when Theresa May has been Prime Minister. And, I, and I, there's a fascinating difference <laughs> in the feel of the building <laughs> once you get through the initial bit, you know, the black door and the entrance area. Yeah, it's a TARDIS, they... isn't it? It's actually a yeah, TARDIS. Yeah, it absolutely is, yeah. But it feels very different Mm-hmm. under each person go on so in the sort of blair era it was quite frantic there was a lot going on there was a real sense of purpose and mission and people trying to achieve things okay. sometimes a bit over anxious about stuff but it was it was a hive of activity spans littering took, the stairs and that's sort of oh yeah, yeah yeah very much yeah. so um uh, and it is a terrible sort of uh, rabbit warren. It's, you, you wouldn't run, you know, if you were starting again, you wouldn't run government from a funny little terraced house like that. But anyway, right. um, and they struggle to, of course. But um, uh, no, that's not a comment on politics. Let's just say it is really difficult to run an administration from right. such a weird, pokey little place. You know, anyway, a mistake in, um, a mistake in our architecture choices or just yeah, well, mirroring just a- our, our government. Maybe so, maybe so. Well, it was a sort of accident, wasn't it? It was yeah. just a gift from one of, um, I can't remember which one of the Prime Ministers. Anyway, um, but, uh, and then to go back in other areas, and particularly the Cameron era, where okay. we spent four hours on the first floor with this table and <laughs> various people coming to have quick little games with us, but but it was eerily quiet. <laughs> so they're playing and, table uh, the, tennis, not running the country. Yeah, well, I mean, he, we didn't, never, actually never ended up meeting him because he was too busy playing tennis. But, you know, it, I mean, I'm, <laughs> it uh, sounds like a joke. And it was a Friday afternoon. He's allowed to have some time off. No, but... he's not. He's the prime minister <laughs> of the fucking country. He's not allowed to have a Friday afternoon off. The contrast was so stark, you know. And, and again, you yeah. know, the, 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 the areas of going in there under Brown, going in under May, it all felt very different. Anyway, what so it's it like a long under, way. No, what was it like under Brown? Well, it was a bit dark and angry and anxious, you know. Oh. Surprise, surprise, you know. It's psycho-architecture. Um, I'm sure there's a study in that, isn't there? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, yeah, the, actually, the most interesting thing that happened, of course, when, when we were there with Cameron, uh, under Cameron with the table, was uh, <laughs> uh, George Osborne walked in to go upstairs because he was living uh, above number 10 at the time. And, you know, there was a little frisson of activity. And you did feel that government sort of resolved more around him than oh. it did around Cameron, interestingly. But that's a, a whole other... Um, I'm projecting a little there. But it was interesting the way right. the place sort of livened up a little bit when he came to the lift. Okay, anyway. well, that, that's a fine tangent. Let's get back to mistakes. Yes. Where were we? Uh, manufacturing oh, yes. in manufacturing. Europe compared to China. Yes. Yeah, so one of the really interesting things we discovered, slightly reluctantly going to these factories in Spain and Germany, where we knew it was going to cost us a bit more, mm. 
but we were just we was really struggling with this consistency problem with the product not always being the same okay was it because it's counterintuitive to me um i'm okay look i'm playing naive it's counterintuitive to me that it would cost more in europe than it would in china is that entirely down to europe having decent employment laws so the people making the ping pong tables are actually getting paid properly um because logistically surely it's more expensive to ship from from germany than it is from china uh no it's more expensive to ship from china yes yeah, so, oh right okay yeah sorry um yeah so it's more uh, well I mean, a number of things. I think, A, during the period of time that we were making the tables, costs in China had started to go up. Right. So you're, I'm sure you're right. I mean, I could tell you stories about being in a factory in China mm. and watching people in a the area where they were spray painting the, 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 the various um, materials mm. and people with flip-flops around acid baths mm -hmm. and not wearing masks and trying to kind of, engage with the factory owners and managers and saying look this isn't really mm. ideal well you know can't you know and, and then we'll, they'll say no, no no it's fine and then looking across the floor of the factory and seeing a woman with a mask on mm. in a different part of the plant and saying well she's wearing a mask why can't they mm. and they said well she's got a cold <sighs> <laughs> which is just an interesting observation isn't it you know yep. in so many ways yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you you can see the um, pure capital capitalist yes. logic there. Um, yeah, it's weird. It was very weird. So, well, you so can't yes, actually. That, yes. that was a bollocks thing. It's it's not pure capital. It's pure um, greed. Anyway, yeah, onwards. So no, no, I, I, absolutely, I agree. Yeah. Um. So so there's lots of you know. Anyway, cost started rising in China, but mm. it was this consistency thing. It's a really when you're when you're delivering something as big as a table tennis table. When you get a customer phone you up and say, you know, the bolt's broken on the leg or, you know, something's happened. Mm. It's a much bigger deal than a tiny little widget. You can say, oh, I'm really sorry. I'll just post you another one. Mm -hmm. You've got to, you know, um, I'm mm. not, not, not that it's good when it happens for tiny widgets, but you, you want consistency on your product. So we moved the, the manufacturing to, or we, we started exploring the manufacturing in, in, uh, in Europe. Right. And, and hadn't properly appreciated, naively, just how easy it is to get product within the European Union. Yeah. So when you've got a when you've got a container coming from China, it turns up at Felixstowe and they can be spot checked mm. and you can suddenly find it's impounded for six weeks or there's all, all big I can't remember them all now, but there's big issues with VAT, there's obviously the duties. Mm. It's quite a it's quite a pain in the ass. There's a lot of hidden costs in it. Mm. Importing from the EU, absolute doddle. Just walk through the door. Now, you know, relevant to our current malaise, yeah. um, you, you, it, it, that's another thing that sort of gets missed in this binary debate about yeah. where we are with the EU. But anyway, that's a... Malaise being again. French for clusterfuck. <laughs> exactly right. Mm. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah um, we, I mean, we could do an entirely separate podcast, obviously, about Brexit. Yeah. And mistakes, and I'd like to have, um, I'd like to have a Remainer on board for that, but I can't get any Remainers to talk to me. Or, you, you mean Leavers? Sorry, any levers, my God, yeah. yeah. Um, any levers to talk to me on, on yeah. a microphone in a debate with a Remainer, yeah. um, which is, you know, really saddening, actually. Well, uh, it says a lot about the, uh, the arguments, doesn't it? Well, no, it certainly does. So anyway, back, back to the mistakes you've never made in um, running any of your businesses. Mm. Um, what else have we done? Uh, I think... Um, 
Well, let's go. Let's go. Let's go to one that we kind of talked about, which is yeah. um, trying not to be David Brent. <laughs> relate relating because I think you, you, what you said was, and I'm not sure if this was a joke or not, but having a policy of um, of never employing anybody who's uh, older than you are, which I know uh, well, you, you don't do, and it is no, but, you know, no. employing I, I, younger I people. That, it's illegal, no, indeed. exactly. Um, I, I, but, I'm uh, running into but, that but, problem. Well, I think it it so happens in my current role, which yeah. is this, you know, business and politics stuff I do in Camden, mm. um, that the roles I'm recruiting for are more appealing and suitable to younger people. It's just, you know, it's, they're more that kind of entry level sort of jobs. In fact, most of the people that work for me came as their, this, this was their first proper job. Right. Right. So it's not, they hadn't worked before, but you know, they'd often, you know, not had a, you know, a, a proper full-time role as it were. So, you, so you're um, a very paternal leader. You're, you're like their dad, are you? Uh, uh, yeah, well, that and that, I guess, is where the David Brent stuff comes in. <laughs> I honestly, sometimes I do catch myself saying things that sound so bloody David Brent. Do you ever bring um, the guitar in? <laughs> I haven't done that yet. No. Um, but you know, it, it, it's it's hard stuff. I think in in the you do I, I do struggle mm. trying to make keep keep the boundary appropriate. Right. You know, when you're the boss. Um, there are certain things, you, you know, you're not people's friends, you can't hang out and, with them in the pub, you mm. can a little bit, but, um, and you do want to kind of help and look after people and grow them, but at the same time, you're not parental, you're not there to um, own all that stuff for them. Mm. Um, and I, I think that, that that's, a, that's an interesting dynamic, and again, not binary. Because um, I think there's been complex. an interesting co-opting of the kind of old Victorian factory ethic where you know single owner employing mm. several maybe sometimes thousands of people maybe even having built a small village um mm. and, and then paying your workers in tokens that they can only spend at the factory shop mm. it, and, and the notion that that is somehow a family with what's happening nowadays in businesses at the one hand say welcome to our family in order to make sacrifices to our, like, work longer for less money mm. or and then when they lay people off, it's always this idea of, um, well, you know, we, we hate to see you leave our family and we wish you all well in the future. And it's just not. The business isn't a family. And I think I had a problem with this when um, employing young journalists sometimes who, you know, come out of college. The assumption that they could be your friend or mm. that they um, were part of a great big family. And you yeah. employ a lot more people, only young, younger people than me. So I'm going to just hit you with a really obvious one. What, what are the biggest mistakes you can make in that kind of a relationship, in that sort of power dynamic of, of manager or boss? To Because all the shit the millennials get uh, at the moment from people my age, I think that's what I'm trying to get at. What, what's the, the, the big mistake there, do you think? I, I don't, well, I think, um, I, I, I suppose this is where management to me is is, is, a, is much more about nuance than black and white. Um, mm. uh, I think, you know, different, everybody, well, lots of people uh, benefit from being managed in different ways. Right. And I think a kind of standard approach to everyone will, is the safest thing to do. But some people need to be left alone to get the best out of them. Mm -hmm. And they need that sort of space. Mm -hmm. And some people need to kind of check in with you all the time because they need that reassurance. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's sort of 
I don't know if it would be a mistake to treat everyone as if they were ubiquitous. It probably isn't because HR would tell you that's exactly what you should do. Really? Um, I think so. I think so. Whereas I, th- I, th- I do feel that you kind of, it, if you're in an environment where it benefits you to take risks or it benefits you to kind of push some boundaries, you do want people to do that too. Right. To, you know, feel that they're, um, that you're on the journey with them and you've yeah. got their back. That, you know, if things fuck up, you're not going to drop them out of a high story window. Mm. But um, uh, but also you're not in that friend paternal role. You know, mm. you're not a parent. There, this relation does still, relationship does still have to function in a work professional environment. Mm. And that's quite, that, 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 there's, there's, a, there's a tricky balance there, I think. I think it's an amazingly tricky balance there. Um, and when I was much younger and editing in Australia, I, I completely, and as an editor, um, with young, young journalists coming on board, I utterly fucked that up and was David Brent. It really is easy, easy yeah. to do, especially yeah. if you're put into a situation where maybe you're only in your, you know, thirties, early thirties yourself. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, yeah, no. Yeah, that is a mistake. I mean, you know, it's fairly obviously a fucking mistake anyway. How about things not to do with um, being the king of London, which is what you are? <laughs> um, I'm certainly not the king of London. God help anyone who was. Um, uh, uh, I Sadiq Khan um, seems to be enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, he's doing okay, I think. I mean, he's getting a bit of stick at the moment. I think London's, I mean, this is what we talk about in fact, one of the meetings I got tomorrow at okay. City Hall with with him and and people in the there's this thing called the uh, local enterprise partnership that I'm part of, and I think one of the problems we wrestle with a lot there is London's place in the UK. Ah, oh, yes, because yes. I think London has been uh, you can say arrogant, um, mm. and I think I would defend slightly our position because I think London has been very outward focused and mm. recognize that our competition is abroad you know london's economy actually needs to be good for the rest of the uk and to do that it needs to compete with new york singapore beijing you know all those other places yeah. it's not really in competition with birmingham york manchester um yeah. Yeah. although within the uk of course there is a competition for resources one of the things i also do at city hall is distribute i chair a group that distributes 750 million euro Ooh. of regional money that yeah. um, uh, we're all going to lose out on in the coming years. But anyway, um, you know, that, that we, we compete for in, in that sense. And I think London risks being a brain drain on other parts of the UK. I yeah. think that's a real problem. Yeah. I mean, but I've I lived also, in both. I've lived in London. I lived in London for quite a long time. I, I used to sell bootleg tapes in Camden, Simon. But I, hey. don't, I think there's a statute of limitations, so you can't arrest me on that. Um <laughs> I lived in London for quite a long time, and then I've lived up in, in the north for 20-odd years. But then I lived in, in Australia for, for 10 years, and mm. as far as the rest of the world's concerned, London is England. Yeah. I mean, London's Britain. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Manchester's okay, maybe, if you follow football, and Liverpool's got the Beatles, and the rest, mm. rest of the country, nah, not really. Not really a look in. Um, I think that's right, but I also think that what we what we we need to be be better, all of us, not just London, as a UK, to sort of recognise that the capital is part of us all. Yeah, you know, you've just touched on it there. You've lived in London, you know what it's like. Yeah, it's it's quite easy to get into this hatred. It's a bit like you know the Scots hate the English and the English 
think you know everyone the, the old <laughs> <laughs> the old joke about you know the fact it's not funny and you'll lose some more listeners over this but anyway you know the, the the old joke being that the scotsman wakes up in the morning and thinks what are the fucking english going to do to me today mm. notice i didn't ex- attempt the accent um oh, yeah. and then the english get up and think you know we'll have for breakfast yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I my, my of... experience of that, my, my experience of that was I went to, I can't remember which, I think it was Euro 86 or whatever it was with a, with a friend of mine, um, uh, in Scotland, went up to Scotland to watch some of the games and I honestly don't remember which tournament it was. He's actually Pete Wishart's brother. Um, and I'm sitting there and England play their game and no Scotland play or something like that. And I'm, Oh, bless their hearts. Scotland. They're like our second team. Yeah. You know, isn't that great? Same thing happened to me in Dublin. Isn't it great? They're doing so well. Um, yeah. and then we went to the pub and there's an England game on and literally everybody in the pub is just screaming. Go on. I yeah. say we were playing Belgium, you know, go on yeah. fucking kill them, Belgium. <laughs> Fuck them up. And I was genuinely yeah. astonished. Yeah. That the Scots didn't think about us in the same way we thought about them. No, that's right. And I think that, that there's a London phenomenon in that. God, yeah. And I, and I think that we, you know, that doesn't help. So, I mean, if at the moment, if you turn up to government and say, you know, if you do this, it'll hurt London, mm. government will likely say good. Now, really? that's not economically. Honestly? That's not, it, it, I mean, the Treasury won't say that. Yeah. But politically, that makes sense. It is much Certainly, and you know, Tory administration that's not that doesn't have a lot that many votes in London. Mm. Um, it benefits much more from being seen to not pander to London or even to penalise London mm. than um, benefits politically. Economically, we know that's nonsense, but it, it, it's it's that's that is politically the kind of world we live in. Now, Brexit is obscuring so many things, including that. But I do think mm. London mm. and the, could could work harder at helping the UK see it as part of the UK as a whole mm. culturally economically socially lots of different ways you know there are more poor people in london than there are in the poorest parts of the rest of the uk and you know it's a much more complicated thing than we recognize mm. um and i think we we, we do ourselves all of us quite a disservice by talking about it in these rather binary terms but I doubt the there's, ever been, there's ever been a point in the history of the um of the nation when that's not been the case has it no I'm sure so, that's right. Well, uh, well, the capital used to be in York, didn't it? But anyway, you know. Well, yeah, yeah modern, that's before era. that's before there was a United Kingdom, though. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think anyway, that's that's a that's a piece of history we can yeah. go over. But it, but it is it is about trying to think about London as less a walled city mm. and more as part of a network that is the UK. Mm. Mm. That I think is quite a big challenge for us at the moment. When you say for us, you mean for the country as a whole, or for you as London? Or I mean, could you quite happily just you know, if there was a one of these weird fucking votes that we're either going to have or not have, and London got the chance to be part of a special become European a city zone. state, yeah. Um, no, uh, no, no. I think that'd be a terrible, terrible thing to do. I mean, I can understand why people, in their desperation, might sort of talk about it and think it was a good idea. A, I think it's absolutely impossible. But even if it yeah. were, even if it were possible, mm. I think it would be a terrible thing because I do think that London isn't an island site. I think it is part of a network that is the UK. Mm. Um, and, you know, as we've said, you know, people, uh, you know, I wasn't born in London. I was born in Manchester. Fuck, so I grew up in Reading. Like, you know, and you, you, like we, we know each other from school. You know, exactly. we've been on, on similar journeys. Um, you know, it's not this separated place. 
it's it's a a, a, a a very vibrant and thriving sort of mixing part of people coming in from all sorts of places, including yeah, that's, internationally. That's a very different thing to it not being a separate place. I mean, when I well, I lived in London, then I moved to Bath and became a journalist at a small magazine company, which is now a slightly less small magazine company. And we used to have to get PRs down to show us at the point it was video games or yeah. computer software, and trying to get a PR to come from sorry, oh, a public relations or marketing person to come from London yeah. down to Bath was like pulling hen's teeth. No, pulling hen, that yeah. does that's meaningless. It was like um, you know, it was like pulling teeth. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it there there is still, and when living in London, um, when I got a job in Yorkshire, I was working in Wardour Street. Um, the leaving card I was given by my colleagues at, uh, uh, um, where I was working in Wardour Street was why the fuck is, was signed, you know, was written, why the fuck are you going to Yorkshire? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. It, there is that mentality within and that's, whether and that's or not it's much, a melting pot. That's very much the, the arrogant part of it. But, it but, but the melting pot is important. It's because, it's, you know, all the immigration mm. to the UK pretty much comes via London. That's how London keeps growing. You know, people move out of London into the rest of the country, and in, internationally they move really? into, in, into is that, London. Is, is that a stat? I mean, ask people in... That is, that is a stat. And ask I, people I, in I know, Bradford I, and ask people in, you know... Um, oh, well, it, it's, not, it's not ubiquitous. It's right. not, It's not. you know, it, it, but, but it is pretty much... L London continues to grow despite migration from London to the rest of the UK mm. because of international migration. Mm. The reason I'm particularly acutely aware of that is because it fell for the first time last year. Um. London's population actually shrank by 100,000, but that's because of net, that's because of yeah, international my... migration slowing. Right. Anyway, you know. So, but, but, I mean, but without, I without reverting to cliche, just, well, I'm going to revert to cliche. Does that mean then that there, there are now going to be fewer people to clean your floors or, or clean your, your loos or clean your hospitals? Or um, is that the level? Or are we talking about fewer oligarchs coming in and buying half I, of Bond Street? Um, I, 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 and the number of oligarchs, of course, is very small. So, uh, And the number, the, the fall of 100,000 really isn't that great. Particularly but when it's you a think fall, London, right? it's a fall. I mean, it's a trend. Yeah, London, London also, you know, expands massively during the day. Yes. So the number of people that don't live in London and therefore wouldn't count as London's population that nonetheless come into it every day. Yeah. So it's I don't I don't think it's it's significant in that regard. What is significant about it is it's the first time, I don't know, probably since the sixties, mm. maybe earlier, mm. that London's population hasn't grown. Yeah. That, I think that's what's that's what's interesting to know. I think it'd be something. Always, it'd be something like since the beginning of the um, the underground is wasn't it created yeah. the suburbs? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but which does seem to be a problem. All right, Simon, we are we are running close to the edge now um, in terms of time, and we've rambled as is beautiful yeah. as is a beautiful <laughs> thing to do on these podcasts. Um, yeah. In your other life away from being doing what you're doing, you know, if you want to talk about it. Um, what mistakes have you made there in 10 minutes? Gosh, I don't know. Well, I'm a parent, so, you know, there's a... <laughs> <laughs> That's just a mistake begin, after you know, mistake, a, isn't it? Yeah. There's a catalogue of mistakes to be made there. Um, uh, I, I, I think... Um, Okay, well, um, none are springing to mind, which is probably a very defensive reaction, isn't it? Oh, well, I know why. Um, I mean, you're refusing to make that double album with me in about 19... There you go. Well, the fact that... Um, yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, well, the musical stuff, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
I, I think probably <laughs> yes. Even I should should have should have formed our own our own band um, many oh, yeah. moons ago, or or another one, yeah. another one. Uh, uh, yes, listeners, Tim and I used to be in a band together, <laughs> but um, uh, but I think the go if I think about that era of of, of my life mm. when I was you know early mid twenties mm. when what had looked like might be a very promising musical career was starting to kind of atrophy and fall away. Right. I I did now I now realize fail in a fairly basic um attempt to to understand and know my own mind about what I was trying to do. Oh. So I would kind of in desperation really constantly try and get advice from all sorts of different people hmm. and of course you ask someone for advice they'll give you whatever first comes into their mind yeah very rarely well considered yeah uh, perhaps a bit offensive to some people who give well considered advice but on the whole people will just give you particularly the music industry you know they just give you you know whatever pops into their head yeah in that era yeah and i was way way too quick to um did you do the job did you do the, the fatal thing? Uh, right, of, of, of always listening to the good to the um, to, to people who only ever told you good things. Um, not necessarily. No, uh, no. In fact, I, I would actually. I might say the opposite. Oh, go on. I Sorry, think I probably that... listened too much to people who wouldn't say who would say the bad things. <laughs> oh, because I did. I, I did completely the opposite. I interrupted you because what I think you were going to say was you latched on to the last piece of advice you were given. So the the most recent piece of advice was the most exactly right. Yeah, which is which is a horrible, easy, easy, easy to do, and a horrible, horrible mistake, young listeners. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, so rather than spend your time knowing your own mind, I mean, I I, I watched my son, who's a, sort of a, a, an entrepreneur, restaurateur now, and he's much, much better than I am. Right. Um. In fact, he I don't know where he got this skill from. He's really good at, at when he's not sure about something. He'll go and ask four or five people, mm. and then he'll filter the advice he'll he'll pick and choose the ones he wants to listen i wish i could um, do that. yeah exactly exactly no all right simon um i'm going to i'm going to leave us there because i'm getting my little pop-up on my screen saying poor network connection and i don't want you sounding like kermit the frog thank um, you so once again as usual thank you so much simon anytime and maybe we'll do the same thing next year for series two that'll be nice all right Bye-bye now. Very well, Tim. Great. Thanks for that, Simon. As always, a very interesting chat. Now, we have a couple of episodes left of this first series of Don't Do Things The Way I Do, the podcast about mistakes. So keep listening all the way up through Christmas 2018. If you'd like to suggest a guest or become a guest because this is all about stories and not necessarily about profile and I hope people who are subscribing are realizing that I'm talking to many different people about their lives and about their mistakes not just many high profile people and people are interesting so if you'd like to contribute anything criticisms encouragement if you'd like to offer sponsorship deals um, which I'd be really grateful for because I'm doing this for no money at the moment. Get in touch. Zuzu's Bakery on Twitter. 
or bread at zuzusbakery.co.uk. Come back and listen again and please do subscribe. Whichever podcast provider you're using, please do subscribe. And I'll talk to you next time. My name's Tim Smith.